Recently, the media has been flooded with information about LGBTQ+. If you wonder what LGBTQ+, means, it's actually an acronym, and it stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, and the plus sign at the end acknowledges other orientations such as asexual, intersex, and more. June was designated as Pride Month, and I think we have received a lot of information, especially within the last year, and probably more information than in the previous decade. Many people consider this an over-representation of the calculated 3.5 to 8% of the population who identify themselves as LGBTQ+. Many other people consider this a revolution to promote equality in our society by reaffirming gay rights, while other people consider this a part of an, an agenda to destroy the so-called American way of living or even the U.S. Armed Forces. You can come to your own conclusion about the origin and validity of this movement, but as medical providers, especially as family medicine providers, we have to be prepared to care for any patient we encounter, including members of the LGBTQ community, and treat them with the same respect and compassion as any other patient we have. This episode was done to increase your awareness on this topic and motivate you to keep learning about it. By the way, there are now specific fellowships you can take as a medical provider to become more specialized in this topic. And you can find more, more information about the fellowships in the American Medical Association website. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is Rio Bravo Q Week, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program from Bakersfield, California. Our program is affiliated with UCLA and it's sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home. This podcast was created for educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Rio Bravo QWIT podcast. And uh, it's the month of July. It's, you know, so summer is in full bloom. So we're very happy that we're enjoying this summer. Uh, but last month, we had the Pride Month. So we were celebrating the uh, people with um, sexual orientation or who belong to the LGBTQ plus community. So today I have two wonderful medical students. They have been here in previous episodes, but they are back. They liked it so much that they wanted to keep talking about uh, anything in the podcast. So thank you, Sawa and Pat, for being here. So thank can you. you please introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Pata Mestridge Pereira. You may call me Pat. I'm a fourth-year medical student at American University of the Caribbean School of Medicine. Hello, my name is Salwa. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Ross University. Great. So... um. Let's start talking about this topic, guys. I think it's going to be very interesting uh, because um, we need more education about this. Yeah. Yeah. So I was browsing the internet, as we all do these days, and I came across this short film called The Clinic. It's by a Canada-based organization, the Get Real Movement. Have you heard about this, Dr. Arieza? Not really. Tell us about it. What's, what is it about? 
So essentially, it's about LGBTQ plus patients and how healthcare is not inclusive. The film shows two patients who have the same concern, but one of them is from the LGBTQ plus community. And it shows how they're treated very differently by the physician. For the member of the LGBTQ plus community, the physician doesn't take um, their concern seriously, while the other person's concern is taken very seriously and there's a whole treatment plan that's made. I can see that physicians can have, um, you know, that different treatment on people who maybe they disagree with them. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it should be. Unfortunately, healthcare disparity is very real, especially in minority groups like the LGBTQ plus community. And one study found that 3.5% of Americans identify themselves as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, and 0.3% identify as transgender. They also found that these individuals are more likely to get poor care because of stigma and lack of awareness. Exactly. And since June is Pride Month, I thought this would be a great topic for the podcast, especially because we as students and probably as also healthcare providers, we don't learn much about these topics in school or even during our training. I think that's a great idea. I've heard a lot about Pride celebrations and the memorials that people do. So... How about we start with uh, defining what's pride? Actually, Dr. Ariaza, pride is a celebration and it's a movement. It's celebrated to commemorate the 1969 Stonewall riots or uprising. These riots began after the police raided a gay club in New York City, leading to almost a week of violent clashes. This event marked the beginning of the gay rights movement as we know it today. And today, Pride is celebrated with parades and many hold memorials for members of the community who were victims of hate crimes. By the way, you can listen to our episode number 14, Gender Diversity, to learn more about definitions of gender, sexual orientations, and more. As you said earlier, LGBTQ plus individuals are part of a minority group and face discrimination. Let's talk about the healthcare gaps in the community. So when I mean the community, I mean the LGBTQ plus community. Tell us more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's... <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. Did you know that the LGBTQ plus youth are at a higher risk of substance abuse, STDs, cancers, cardiovascular disease, obesity, bullying, isolation, rejection, anxiety, depression, and suicide in comparison to the general population? That sounds reasonable. You know, it's, it's not a surprise that that's higher in that population. But the AFP says that suicide rates are four times higher among the LGBTQ population and even higher among trans youth compared to heterosexual youths. Also, members of the community, especially, I say especially, but especially, uh, specifically, men who have sex with men, are at much higher risk of being affected by HIV and AIDS. In fact, physicians and all primary care providers are a key to providing care for the LGBTQ plus community and the special needs of the community, including gender-affirming care. So let's talk about what we should be doing as primary care providers. What should we, what should we be do? 
That is a great question. First, let's go back to the very basics, bedside manners. Bedside manners are absolutely key. Being open and welcoming will open the door for you to find relevant health information. Having open conversations, being empathetic and mindful will help you build that patient-doctor relationship that you want with your patients. I'll share a story from when I was rotating in surgery. I had this uh, transgender patient in clinic, male to female. That's what we call a transgender woman. Um, When I was reviewing the chart, I couldn't find out what pronouns the patient used. And the first thing I did when I got into the room was ask what pronouns would you like me to use? Even though she was wearing a mask, I could tell that her face had lit up just by looking at her eyes. And she had said to me at the end of my interview with her, she said, thank you. That was very kind of you to ask. See, See, small things like this can really make a big difference. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of question is becoming more like routine. For example, in our clinic, when we encounter a patient for the first time, regardless of how they look, we always ask what pronouns they want to use or how they want to be addressed. So and the, the MA or the medical assistant asks those questions and they, they list the pronoun right next to the name so we can address the patient the way they want to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So and uh, what, what about the other health issues that they can have, these patients can have? What should we What should we do about that? For the other concerns like depression, anxiety, suicide, and more, we can follow the current guidelines that are that have been set in place for cisgender patients. So cisgender patients are those who identify themselves with the gender that was assigned at birth. The AAFP and USPSTF have screening guidelines in place that we can use to help determine if someone needs further help. So that means that means that all the screening guidelines apply to them, right? Like yeah. Lung mm-hmm. cancer, cervical cancer, um, yeah. all the guidelines are in place for other people. They should apply to these patients too. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So the PHQ-9, a screening questionnaire for depression, will help you determine if you need to start treatment for depression or be referred to behavioral health. There's a similar questionnaire for anxiety. It's called the GAD-7. Uh, When I was doing my psychiatry rotation, I had a transgender male patient who didn't have a good support system. His family had essentially rejected him and he was so isolated that he became depressed and suicidal. He was actually in the hospital for a suicide attempt. Um, So I I would ask your patients about bullying their support system and ask them about their friends. Maybe even talk to their parents if the patient is a minor and if they allow you to do so. Maybe even refer for family therapy. There's, of course, additional uh, things that you can do, such as STD testing, HPV Mm -hmm. vaccination, obesity and related comorbidity screening, pap smears for anyone with a cervix, and maybe even consider an anal pap smear when appropriate. Yeah, I want to tell you about this uh, rotation that I did in Beverly Hills, actually in California. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like a rotation in a gynecology office for men, basically. That's not the the proper name for that that specialist, but he basically, what he did was a pap smear every year or every other year uh, for men, for for anal uh, cancer. So it's a good time to review that, you know, who is at increased risk for anal cancer. So of course we are mentioning men who have sex with men. Also patients who are immunosuppressed, uh, either because they had a solid organ transplant 
or because they are on corticosteroids for other reasons. So if they are immunosuppressed, they are at increased risk of anal cancer. Also, women with a history of cervical, vulvar, or vaginal SIL, also termed intraepithelial neoplasia, or cancer. Okay, we always forget about this, but they can also have um, anal cancer. And women with a history of cervical HPV-16 infection, and also individuals with a history of anal genital warts. All these patients, they can have a higher risk of uh, anal cancer, and you can consider doing an anal pap smear if you think it's, it's necessary. And in this population, depression is important to detect on time given the higher rate of suicide. Aside from following current guidelines, are there any unique health-related questions we should ask our LGBTQ plus patients? I, I hope you said yes. So two common health topics are gender-affirming care and complications relating to chest binding. Dr. Ariaza, have you had any patient encounters for gender-affirming care? Yes, yes. Actually, I've had a few patients who requested gender-affirming care. It requires a multidisciplinary care team, so you have to consider staff like hormone replacement, mental health, and surgeries. At the primary care level, you are there as the patient's support system and to help them navigate through everything and provide them with all the information that they might need. So hormone replacement is generally done by an endocrinologist or by a primary care provider who has been trained to do it. And of course, when appropriate, we will refer patients to surgeons for certain procedures. Exactly. Individuals who, from my understanding, are transgender or non-binary, as in they identify as males but tend to have female sexual characteristics like breasts, may do something called chest binding. It basically involves compressing the breast tissue with a wrap to have a more masculine gender expression. Usually people will use commercial binders, elastic bandages, duct tape, or even plastic wrap. When you have a patient who practices chest binding, it's very important to address safe practices. They can easily develop skin conditions like acne, scarring, fungal infections, but also can develop very serious complications like chronic pain, um, trouble breathing, risk uh, rib fractures. They can have syncope, lightheadedness, and even heartburn. And we have to remember to do a mammogram <laughs> with those patients too, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So a study showed that 88.9% of pa uh, participants experienced a negative side effect of binding, but only 15% sought care. Cleveland Clinic suggests that individuals use a commercial breathable binder or a sports bra. It is also important to stay hydrated at least one day a week when the binder is not used and to avoid using a binder while sleeping. Most importantly, if you experience any side effects, Please get help from a doctor. And it's also, I wanted to mention about asylum seekers, because I know that people with the, in the LGBTQ community are target for stuff like killings, sexual and gender-based violence, mm -hmm. physical attacks, arbitrary detention, torture, accusations of immoral or aberrant behavior, and all, they get denied many of the rights that they have as human beings. So uh, in many areas of the world, they have all, they face all these problems and they can go to another area where they, they feel safer, they feel more protected. So mm -hmm. I think we covered most of it. Do you two think that we mentioned the most important parts? Yes. yes. 
And on that note, we do want to end this podcast with a small message to the LGBTQ individuals listening in. We want you to know that you are not alone and that you do matter. And if you're listening right now and know someone who is part of the LGBTQ plus community, please check in on them and let them know how much they mean to you. Exactly. There's some resources to help our LGBTQ plus community. These resources include the Center for Sexuality and Gender Diversity in Kern County, the PFLAG Bakersfield Chapter, the Bakersfield LGBTQ+, the Trevor Project, which have crisis counselors available on site, National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255, the National LGBTQ Task Force, SAGE, which is the Services and Advocacy for LGBTQ plus Elders, the Transgender Law Center. We encourage you to go to your primary care provider and to talk to them about your concerns and tell them how you're doing. And we encourage all PCPs and other providers even to implement these principles when encountering their LGBTQ plus patients. And if, um, if you don't feel comfortable as a physician to care for an LGBTQ plus patient, don't feel bad. It's okay. You can refer them to a provider with the knowledge and the skills to care for this kind of patients. We were talking about morals. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. we have our morals. We are human beings too. Mm-hmm. And some people might disagree with these patients' sexual orientation. So in that case, so those providers can refer to another provider. Happy Pride Month, everyone! Now we conclude our episode number 103, Caring for LGBTQ Plus Patients. Remember to screen your patients for conditions related to their gender assigned at birth, but take into consideration the effects of hormones in those who have changed their gender. While caring for your LGBTQ Plus Patients, remember to apply the same ethical principles you apply to the rest of your patients. Beneficence, non-maleficence, autonomy, and justice. Even without trying, every night you go to bed being a little wiser. This week we thank Hector Ariaza, Salwa Sadiq Ali, and Pat Pereira. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week podcast. If you have any feedback, please contact us by email at riobravoqweek at clinicaservista.org or visit our website, riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. Audio by Sarajam Ruthia. See you next week.